Lead Well. Welcome to the Lead Well podcast, where we're growing the whole leader, sharpening leadership skills while strengthening the heart in leadership. Let's lead well. Hello, and welcome to Lead Well. I'm Corey Bowie, your host for today. You might be expecting part two of our interview with author and leadership expert, Mark Miller. We promise we will bring you that interview soon, and we know it will inspire and encourage you. But today, in light of the current unprecedented circumstances we're experiencing worldwide, we felt impressed to bring you a recent and timely leadership teaching from Dr. Sam Chand. Dr. Chand is an internationally known business and leadership expert and speaker. He was our keynote speaker at Lead Well Spring 2020 held online just as the global scope and impact of COVID-19 was becoming more apparent to us in the United States. So we're pivoting a bit today from our normal scheduled topic and usual format to share with you what we believe is an incredibly helpful teaching about how to lead in the time of crisis. We are confident that it will help sharpen your skills while strengthening your heart in these difficult days. Let's listen in. Today, I want to talk to you about leading in crisis. Leading in crisis. So much has been written. So much is being written. Uh, You can go online and find all kinds of things that are being said and written and uh, communicated. And those things are changing by the hour. But from a leadership perspective, I'm going to share with you a few things that I'm learning, have learned, and continue to learn. The first thing is, leading in crisis is different from leading in normal times. Just my coming to you online exclusively is a different way of doing things. So leading in crisis is different than normal times. And we have to learn as to what is around us. Someone much smarter than me said this, never waste a crisis. But that they were simply saying, If you don't learn with what is going on, then you will have bypassed a learning opportunity in your life. Number two is accept your feelings and the feelings of others around them. Because see, acknowledging your humanity is not denying God's divinity. I want to say that again. Acknowledging your humanity is not denying God's divinity. You have your feelings. Uh, There'll be feelings of uncertainty. That does not mean you don't have faith. You'll have moments of doubt. That does not mean you don't believe in God. Your feelings are your feelings. We were created with feelings. We don't deny our feelings. We don't live in a vacuum. We are who we are. We are human beings. And, And at this point, anything that you turn to in the media is going to tell you how bad it is. And it is bad. However, when all those come at us, we have to say to ourselves, I'm feeling this way, but that does not negate who God is. Your feelings are your feelings. And if there are people around you who have feelings that are not going along with yours, or they might be feeling worse than your feeling, or they may be more despondent or more pessimistic or more negative, uh, don't be down on them. People's feelings are their feelings. So accept your feelings, accept the feelings of others. During crisis, people have four needs. People have four needs during crisis. Number one is need for clarity. Tell me clearly what is going on. What do you know that you can tell me with clarity? 
And it is a, the clarity that becomes fuzzier in times like this. The second need they have is that of steady emotions. Steady emotions. I'm talking about leading in crisis. And I'm talking to leaders all over the world right now. Not just at victory, but thank God for victory that's allowing us to get this message out to the entire world. And this is when leaders step up and have steady emotions. Because as you fluctuate as a leader, those following you will fluctuate as well. Number three is a need for security. Security which says it's going to be okay. Security which says we're going through turbulence, but you will be fine. Uh, as Pastor Mo was introducing me, he told you about the times, uh, how much I fly. I fly literally all over the world on a regular basis. And I'm here to tell you that I've been in all kinds of turbulent situations. All kinds of turbulent situations. But then there's that calming voice of the captain that comes and says, we are going through turbulence. This turbulence will last for a little bit. We're trying to find the right altitude so we can get out of this turbulence. Just hold on, tighten your seat belts, stay in your seat. And that calming voice gives me the security that he knows what's going on. And therefore, even though my anxiety level might be higher than normal, I'll be okay. The fourth need that people have is that of a speedy action. Take some action. Do something and do it quickly. Need for speedy action. The longer you wait, it's not going to get better. The longer you wait, things will keep evolving. And that is why number four is you got to collaborate. Collaborate and that simply asks the question, whose help do I need? Seek advice. Whose help do I need and seek advice? You see, it is not a strength it is not a point of weakness when you ask for advice, you ask for counsel, and you collaborate. It is a sign of strength. Only secure people and strong leaders are very open and transparent about saying, I need to collaborate. I need to get advice from other people. Number five is coordinate with others. Coordinate with others. Uh, You've got to find out who else can help me. Because you see, when you are in crisis, it is always good and comforting and security is enhanced when we know we can get people around us and we can coordinate strength and we can coordinate our resources, we can coordinate our facilities, we can coordinate our, our finances, we can coordinate our know-how. It is the coordination that takes place. But then takes, that takes me to number six. You got to give up your turf issues, your territorial issues. During crisis, people start getting more territorial than they are in normal times. During crisis, people start managing their area and want them to look good, and, and that comes at the expense of the whole. So during crisis, leaders have to keep an eye on who's getting territorial who is turf-driven, who is trying to secure their own uh, positions or their own territories. Because those who hold on to their territories, then you cannot co coordinate. You cannot collaborate, but for you to collaborate and coordinate, you have to just pull away the 
territorial ways of thinking, territorial ways of doing things. Number seven, you got to deal with the crisis at hand. There will be an appropriate time to do the analysis. This is not the time to delve into the analysis. There will be an appropriate time because if you don't analyze, you don't learn. I get that. But right now, it is time to say to ourselves, how do we deal with the crisis at hand? If I go into the doctor with a broken arm, that's what needs to be fixed. Now, how I broke it, what, what I should not have been doing, how it happened, we will, we will deal with that. We will ask that. We will work on that. But right now, there's a crisis that needs to be taken care of. So as a leader, you have to ask yourself, am I going to delve into analysis and miss out the, the timing on this because every crisis becomes time sensitive? Or are we going to focus on the crisis at hand and deal with that? Number eight, be a peacemaker. Be a calming voice in heightened emotions. Be a calming voice. I want to say to victory and all the Christian believers especially who are watching me right now, it's applicable to everybody, but especially to Christian believers. God has placed you in certain environments. You are there on purpose. You are there on appointment. And you have to be that voice that is the calming Stabilizing, secure, positive, future thinking voice. This is the time that we speak life. This is the time that we speak into people's lives what has been spoken into our lives. So crisis demands the following things. It demands creativity, new ways of thinking. How we've done it will not necessarily work again. It demands flexibility. Flexibility as to, I know I used to do it like that, but now I have to do it another way. I was resistant to it then, but now I have to be open to it. Number three, I have to be fluid. Uh, what's happening right now, me coming to you online? <laughs> A few days ago, there were going to be many, many, many people in this uh, great auditorium at Victory Church in Norcross, Georgia. But right now, I'm coming to you online. It's the fluidity of being able to say, okay, this is how we need to adjust ourselves and make things happen. Number four, it needs inspirational leadership. Crisis needs inspirational leadership. Leadership that is not going to bring people down, but bring people up. Without denying the reality, we still have to proclaim what we know. And what we know is that God is in control. Because see, in crisis times, you really find out if you really believe the theology that you say you do. During peacetime, it is easy to lift up our hands to proclaim Jesus. During peacetime, it is easy 
to say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. During peacetime, it is easy to feel what we feel, but it is during times of crisis that you really get tested as to, do you really believe what you have been saying, what you've been preaching, what you've been practicing? Is your theology strong enough to withstand the crisis at hand? Number five is the need for transparency. Transparency. People know when you're holding things too close. People know when you're not telling them everything. Uh, people are not as naive as you think they are. People, people are quite intelligent. They, they, have, they have a very good sense about what is going on. So be transparent because when you're not transparent with people, you are losing leadership equity. And when you lose leadership equity, then leading in crisis becomes doubly difficult. Number six is during crisis, you need a team. You need a team. You can't do this by yourself. You need a team. A team that will come together and work together as a singular unit going forward. Number seven, people need solutions. Crisis demands solutions. Now, the solution may be not long-term, but a solution all the same. Because the question is, what are we going to do? What are you doing? What do you want us to do? What are we going to do? Solutions. We know there's a problem. But leaders are being asked the question. I'm talking to leaders right now. Leaders are solution producers. That is how you got into the leadership position you're in. Because somewhere early, early, early in your leadership journey, uh, you, you, you had a need and you solved it and somebody observed that you solved it and you gave another solution and next chapter of your life you gave another solution, next chapter of your life gave another solution and more solution and more solutions and more solutions and as you kept giving solutions, you kept rising up. That's how people get promoted. That's how people go rise up in, the, in uh, whatever sphere of uh, ministry or marketplace uh, appointment they might be in. When people bring solutions as a leader, people look to you for Solutions. Number eight, people want you as a leader to be prepared. They want you to be prepared. They want you prepared for every contingency, every contingency. Now, there's a difference between preparation and planning. Uh, preparation is uh, strategic, planning is tactical. So, so you, you walk up to me after uh, I'm, I'm finished with my lesson over here and say, so Sam, uh, how long did it take you to prepare for what you're teaching us? I said, probably 40 years. <laughs> how long did it take you to plan this out? I would say a little over eight hours of pulling my thoughts together getting scraps of paper and just writing, 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 writing. And what made really good sense in the first hour <laughs> did not make sense in the sixth hour. And then sitting down and typing it out and then sending it to Pastor Dennis for approval because this is not another vanilla leadership lesson this is strategic at a very momentous time in the life of this uh, globe. Everybody alive today has never, ever seen, experienced what we're experiencing right now. This is totally unprecedented, totally 
unknown charter territory. So, preparation and planning. You People don't expect you to have a plan, but they do expect you to be prepared. And under that, finally, uh, conflict. Conflict. <laughs> you got to know that there will be conflict. So what is conflict? Let me define conflict for you. The distance between expectation and reality is known as conflict. Let me say that again. If this is expectation and this is reality, the greater the distance, the greater the conflict. So when people have this expectation of you as a leader and reality is pretty close to it, Conflict is minimized. But if people have this expectation of you as a leader and reality is over here, there's momentous gap and greater conflict. So you, you, you need to know that your decision, whatever decision you make in, in crisis time, regardless of what decision you make, there'll be some people who will agree with you and some people who will disagree with you. It is just the nature of Crisis, because crisis pulls out emotions from us that normal times don't. So there'll be agreement, there'll be disagreement. And doesn't matter how well you say it, leaders listen to me here, doesn't matter how well you say it, how well you write it out, you put the comma in the right place, you pause at the right moment, you look in the camera in the right way, you use the right words, you can do whatever you want to. I want to guarantee you one thing, you will be misunderstood. So if your, if, if your whole idea is I don't get misunderstood, then you're going to live in fantasy land. Now, you need to do your homework. You need to be very diligent. You need to choose your words. You need to be careful in what you say and how you say it. But doesn't matter what you say, it will be misunderstood. And that is the time leaders cannot take it personally. I'm trying to help you understand. When, when people misunderstand what you're saying, what you're doing, your decisions, don't take it personally. I know you can't help but take it personally, but try to be as Teflonish as possible because you see, it is the, the nature of crisis that elicits that kind of conflict. You'll be misunderstood. And all, there will also be levels of suspicion. Suspicion. Hmm. Is he really saying what he means? Are they telling us everything? Maybe they know something we don't know. And then there'll be resistance. There will be resistance. Because see, change imposed is changed opposed. I want to say that again. Change imposed is changed opposed. There will be resistance. I also had to learn through times of crisis, that everyone hears and sees things from their perspective and their own experiences. Everyone sees life from the chair they are sitting in. So when there's a crisis, it immediately gets interpreted to what happened previously. So right now, for example, because of the difficulties that we are going through and will go through, our perspective is to reflect back on the most recent recession. If you're reading and watching media, they are uh, talking about what other times happened and so on and so forth. So we cannot help but be reflective and rear view oriented rather than windshield 
oriented. And the leader has to be calm. Because see, when the leader panics, everybody panics. You got to be calm in that. People also are looking for somebody who's decisive. Decisive. You see, when you're 100% sure, you're too late. Because circumstances, situations, context, disruptive moments, eruptive moments, inflection points, all of them are shifting at a rapid pace. So if you're waiting to say, well, let me get these pieces of information in place before I make my decision, you will never have all the information to make the decision. So you gotta be decisive because you'll never have all the information that you're looking for. So during these times, people will make decisions and then second guess themselves. You made the decision. Get behind it. You cannot make decisions half-heartedly. You gotta be all into that. Let's talk about communication for a bit, little bit. Communication, you can never over-communicate. Let me just say that again. You can never over-communicate during crisis. And communication is a cascading strategy. If you could think of a pyramid, a triangle, the top would be your, your, the, your, your top leadership of your organization. The bottom here would be everybody else. And then there are layers. There are layers in every organization. Doesn't matter how flat your organization is. Doesn't matter how hierarchical your organization is. There are going to be layers in there. And, and you've got to be careful that communication is cascaded down. Because if you are over here and Communication jumps over the people in the middle and goes directly over here, then these people are going to lose confidence in you because you bypass them. They can only feel disrespected, dishonored, and disempowered. So there's got to be a communication strategy. Also, you got to close the loop. That means during crisis, you have an assignment, you do that, and you let your superiors or those you are reporting to know that you have done it or you are doing it or you're in process. You gotta constantly be closing the loop and that frees up the space in the mind of the lead leader that things are getting done. They don't have to chase after you. They don't have to chase after those things, but those leadership loops are being closed all the time. Communication needs to be clear and precise. Clarity and precision. But here's what you have to understand. You're communicating intellectually, but during crisis, everyone is hearing it emotionally. You are speaking academic words, planned words. You are, might be uh, reading off a teleprompter. You have notes in front of you. So... You are speaking intellectually, academically, from your mind, but it is being heard from the heart, from emotions and feelings. You can control your decisions, but you cannot control the responses of the people. A lot of times leaders feel like, I have made a decision and now I also want to control how people feel about it, think about it, respond to it. You cannot do that. You are responsible for your decision and you do not control the responses of the people that, that you are leading. Here's another one. 
often leaders in their quest to play it safe, cover all their bases, create more questions and uncertainty and leave and, and communicate in mumbo jumbo. And with that comes fuzziness. I've been around crisis for over three decades. That's what I do. I'm a fireman. If there's a crisis in an organization, I get that call. All over the map. Marketplace, ministry, regardless. That's what I do. Or part of what I do. And it's amazing how leaders can create fuzziness when clarity is needed because they, they want to talk in, in such a way that everybody will like them, everybody will agree with them. I want to say to you as a leader, you got to find your message, say it and say it with precision. Leaders need to be brave. It takes courage to be a leader. Leaders need to be brave and not make it about themselves. Because see, Leadership is not for mamby-pamby people. Not for the weak need. It's not for people who get easily offended. It's not for people who want others to like them. It's not just for people who are looking for a popularity contest. You got to be brave. As a leader, you have made difficult decisions and you will make difficult decisions. It takes courage. You also have to take responsibility. You, you, it may not be your fault, but it's still your responsibility. I'm going to say it again. It may not be your fault, but it is still your responsibility. It may not be your responsibility as to why the crisis happened and how it happened, but it is now your responsibility to lead through it, work through it, Collaborate through it. Coordinate through it. Lead people with security and with assurance. My 10th point. Provide people a safe place to talk. That's what leaders do. They provide people a safe place to talk without simplistic answers. Without simplistic answers. This is a complicated situation we are working through. And in the future, you'll have other complicated situations too. But people need a safe place where they can dialogue about it. Number 11, don't make an enemy list. When it becomes us and them, we become self-destructive. We implode on ourselves. Listen to me, my dear friends. We are all in this all together. It does not discriminate between rich and poor. There's no us and them. There's no enemy and no friends. It's all us. Don't make an enemy list. Number 12. Don't draw premature conclusions. Life is not that linear. Don't be jumping to conclusions. For some people, that's the most exercise they get is jump to conclusion. Jump to conclusion. Jump to conclusion. 
You're not jumping in boxes at CrossFit right now. Life is not that linear. Life is not that simple. Number 13, differentiate between crises. Not all crises are created equal. For example, if there's an earthquake, flood, hurricane, fire, there will be an eventual conclusion followed by long-term recovery. Recently, uh, I had the opportunity to go and uh, serve in Puerto Rico. They had a just destructive hurricane not too long ago, Maria. They're still rebuilding for it. But that's a different kind of a crisis. It comes, there's some predictability to it, there's some timing to it, and then there's a long recovery process. Other crises like the one we're facing right now is, is ongoing without predictable conclusion and recovery. So everybody wants to know when, but no one knows. And that is why I want to hear what I have to say right now. Leading in ambiguity is the highest level of leadership. Leading into a known territory, you have a GPS for that. You have a plan for that. You can hire consultants for that. But leading in ambiguity is the highest level of leadership. Not knowing where you're going and yet having enough leadership equity for your company, your organization, your nonprofit, your church to say, we don't know, but our leader has made good decisions in crisis before, and we're going to follow her, we're going to follow him. The scope and sphere for every crisis changes. Some crises are personal, local. Right now, we're having a global crisis. And so, once we understand that you cannot compare two crises, you can get perspective, you cannot compare the two, you start saying, we've got to deal with this as it is. So let me talk to you, number 14, about the aftermath of a crisis. The aftermath of a crisis. The decisions you will make will make you. The decisions you will make will turn around and make you. You will change. Not just the context, not your business, not just the church, not how we do things, but you. How you think, how you perceive, you will change. There'll be a new normal, a new normal. And our thinking and interpreting of life shifts. Because of crisis, personal, local, global, because of crisis, the way we interpret life shifts itself. But then, here comes the other thing that happens during crisis. During crisis, new leaders are identified and rise during crisis. New leaders are identified and rise during crisis. And the opposite is also true, that people you thought were leaders are not really leaders. 
People you thought had equity really don't have equity. People you thought had solutions really don't have solutions. People you thought were optimistic and, and positive and going somewhere really don't have those. And they, people you thought who have, were hardy and strong and could lead are now people who are quivering and are hiding under a rock looking for somebody else to give them direction. But the good news is, during crisis times, new leaders arise. And not only do new leaders arise, leadership is accelerated during times of crisis. The faster the crisis, the faster the acceleration of leaders. So during crisis time, leaders do this. While you are dealing with crisis, don't forget to keep your eyes on your team as to who is rising up. Who is just stagnant? Who is not rising but going in the other direction? Because once this crisis is over, and it will be over, once this crisis is over, you've got to look back on that and say, these are the people who rose, and then you've got to say to yourself, what do I do with these three categories of people who've identified themselves during this crisis? People who rose, people who did not rise, and people who stagnated in the middle. It gives you great opportunity to identify leadership. Because see, crisis shakes our confidence in our product, in our process, in our people. In our product, which is the what, in our process, which is the how, and our people is the who. It shakes our foundation in everything. But then it gives us the opportunity to do a reset. Do a reset. So a great church like Victory and many great churches across the world are going to be online this Sunday. It's a reset. Technology. After this crisis is over, there'll be new systems and new structures that'll appear. Things are not, your, your, your organizational chart, your flow chart, let me guarantee you, if you are learning from crisis and if you are leading in crisis, your flow chart that was pre-crisis will not be the same post-crisis. It has to shift. Because if it is the same, then you didn't learn anything. You wasted a crisis. You'll also become stronger. Because you learn there is life after crisis. And it gives us new inflection points. Inflection points which says, I got to make a decision now. Which way will I go? So let me conclude my time with you by giving encouragement for Christian believers especially. Number one, pray. Pray. Not perfunctory prayers. Pray. Pray for the crisis. Pray for your leaders. Please know. Please hear me. Pray for your leaders. Leaders are making momentous, consequential, long-term, futuring decisions. Pray for wisdom. Pray for grace. Pray for peace. Pray for joy because Nehemiah says in a crisis time, he reminded the people when he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, he said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Pray for your leaders and pray for everyone who's affected by the crisis. Because this is a time where we can present Christ in a way because see, everybody is looking for a savior, aren't they? At this time, everyone's looking for a savior. Maybe a savior with a small s 
But we can present them with a savior with a capital S. Present Jesus to them. This is a time for Christian believers to build connections. There are people in your neighborhoods, people on the job, people in church that just need to know somebody's praying for me and build community. This is time for Christian believers, especially everybody, but especially Christian believers to reach out to others with compassion. Christ, community, and compassion. That's what believers do. Because you see, how the church and believer respond to crisis is the biggest witness to the world. How a believer responds to a crisis has to be different than how a non-Christian believer responds to a crisis. If, if, if I as a believer go into panic mode and hyperventilate, the sky is falling, don't know what I'm going to do, and my unbeliever Neighbor is feeling is going through exactly what I'm going through. So what's the difference? Oh, this is a great moment for the church to differentiate itself by saying, I really do believe as a Christian believer that God is in charge, that he is Lord, he is king, and he has everything under control. I don't see it, I don't sense it, but I can trust him in the middle of the storm. So how do we do that? How do we answer the questions? <laughs> Let me illustrate that through Jesus at the age of 12. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Jesus is at the age of 12. His parents have lost him on the trek back from Jerusalem. They find him after three days. He is uh, surrounded by the academia of the time, the lawyers, the doctors, the attorneys, the, the professional people are surrounding him in the, in, the, in the temple. And Jesus is there. And this is what the Bible says. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. It says this. And came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both, number one, hearing them, and asking them, number two, questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his, number three, understanding. And finally, number four, his answers. We see Jesus in the middle of the, of the academia of that time doing four things. Number one, hearing them. Number two, asking questions. Number three, understanding the situation, and number four, giving them answers. You see, you have to earn the right to give answers, and you earn, how does a 12-year-old young man in a Jewish context earn the right to be heard by the high escalon of that society, especially when children had no place speaking to them? If you want to earn the right to have answers because people are looking for that, you got to do the first three very well. Number one is hear people. Number two, ask pertinent questions. Number three, try to understand their context and then you can have the right to answers. Probably if there's one individual in the Bible who went through the most difficult time in his life, 
as a human being would be Job. <laughs> the book of Job, chapter one, starts off with not just one crisis. Crisis, bam, 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 bam. And everything he belonged went away. His children were killed. Everything that he was, he was a wealthy man. Everything that he was in one day's time was wiped away. One day's time, everything was gone. So what do you do when you have that kind of a crisis? Let me read to you from Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 22. It says this, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Because this is the lesson I learned. Blaming God is always wrong. Worshiping God is always right. Let me say it again. Blaming God is always wrong. Worshiping God is always right. I want to invite you as a leader to become the Job type worshiper who knows that he is king over all. So, so good. We're very thankful for Dr. Chan sharing his wisdom and experience with us as we all adjust to leading in uncertain times. We trust and hope that you also found it very valuable. You can watch the full-length video of this teaching and find other great resources, including a discussion guide, at our website, leadwellpeople.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at leadwellpeople. Be on the lookout for part two of our interview with Mark Miller, available on our podcast soon. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you again next month as we sharpen our skills while strengthening the heart.